Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, members and friends of Bethany Covenant Church, and to all the mothers, happy Mother's Day. Several years ago, when our son Ted was attending the University of Connecticut, Carolyn and I purchased season tickets to the UConn football games. We have many good memories enjoying the tailgating before the games as well as the games themselves. And I would add right now, go Huskies. But one memory that stands out for me above them all was when my grandson Jacob joined us for his first college football game. UConn was playing South Florida, and it was not just any game. If the Huskies win, they will be bowl eligible. Tailgating that day was very rowdy. The noise at Rentschler Field was exuberant. The tension was high. The weather was fantastic. I was excited, and so was Jacob. The game was tremendous. Lots of great offense and defense by both teams. And UConn went on to win and gain a spot in the postseason. We were cheering all the way back to the car at the far end of the parking lot, as well as our entire drive home. While Jacob shared the excitement, something was different. He had not been as interested in the game as he was in the choices at the concession stands, the giant pretzels, the boxes of candy, and the Cracker Jacks, especially the Cracker Jacks. We made several trips to the concession stand that day. For him, this was not so much a football game, but a chance to eat all his favorite foods, foods he seldom got to eat and never got to eat them all at the same time. There are times in life when we experience great delight personally, and it has been shared with other people. But not everyone is delighted because of the same thing. An event shared together can bring joy to many, but for vastly different reasons. Often, our personal perspective is blind to what others delight in seeing. A similar experience happens as we seek to learn from the Hebrew people as they travel from Egypt to Canaan. We've been very upfront about their complaining, their whining, and their grumbling. But we may have a difficult time seeing that in our lives, we too grumble. We also whine. And yes, we complain. We've been up front talking about the overwhelming display of the power of God, the ten plagues that freed them, the crossing of the Red Sea on dry seabed, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night to guide them, the bitter water of Mara turned sweet to quench their thirst, and the daily manna to satisfy their hunger. However, these displays of power can overwhelm things that are essential but quiet. Thus, important things can be missed. So I read the travel from Egypt to Canaan all over again to see what I might have missed, and I discovered it. Prayer. If we're going to truly learn to trust God in the transitions of life, prayer is essential. Three days after crossing the sea, the people are thirsty and complain to Moses about water undrinkable, bitter water. 
And we read in Exodus 15, 25, Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Seven words. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Easily missed. We are given no words of what Moses cried out. They are just cried out. There's no indication that the people cried out to the Lord. They just cried out to Moses. And God provides for the people sweet water. Four weeks later, the people are once again complaining to Moses, and this time about food. They're hungry. We read in Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, six words, Then the Lord said to Moses, Again, easily missed, partly because there is no prayer here, not even a hint that Moses cried out. God initiates this conversation and does so by answering a prayer that apparently is not even prayed, and God provides daily manna. Nearly two years later, we find the Hebrew people at the base of Mount Sinai. They're in the desert about 200 miles from the land of Goshen, where they had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They still have the pillar of cloud, but they now have been given the Ten Commandments. And they have now built the tabernacle, the home of God, while they're traveling to Canaan. And in it is the Holy of Holies, containing the Ark of the Covenant and the tablets of the law. Listen to what Moses writes in his fourth book, the book of Numbers in chapter 10 verses 11 and 12. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. After nearly two years at Mount Sinai, the people are on the move again. Will their journey be different this time? Have they learned to follow God? Please pray with me. Lord, speak to us this day, including this preacher, the importance of prayer. Help us to pray honestly, transparently, regularly, faithfully. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listen now to what Moses writes in the very next section of the book of Numbers. Good morning. Our first scripture this morning is from Numbers, beginning in the 11th chapter, the second half of verse 4. Again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And then we pick up again in verse 10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to deserve this? What have I done to displease you that you have put the burden of all of these people on me? Did I conceive all of these people? Did I give them birth? 
Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land of the promise, the oath of their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all of these people? They keep wailing at me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry them all, these people not all by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my ruin. Thank you, Diane. Finally, Moses includes the words of his prayer. The first problem the people have is the menu. They want an expanded menu. They are tired of only one entree. I can hear them yelling it out. Manna! The second problem the people have is to whom they raise their first problem. They complain to Moses. What can Moses do? Where can Moses find meat for all these people? So Moses makes the first right move. He turns to God. He is desperate. Jeff Mannion writes, My inclination is that desperate prayers may be an indication of spiritual health rather than a sign of spiritual deficiency. End of quote. Now, one might think that Moses initiated this prayer. And while Moses prayed it, I would suggest that he did not initiate it. God is the initiator of prayer. It is God who seeks people. It is God who wants a relationship with the people of his creation. It is God who has placed in us a desire for him. It is God who seeks conversation with us. So to preach this idea of God's initiation when it comes to prayer, I invite you to turn in your Bible to the first book of Moses, the book of Genesis. Here we find what I believe to be the first prayer recorded in the Bible. Listen as Diane reads again for us. Our second reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. In the cool of the evening and the breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit is commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman who gave it to me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Thank you, Diane. God speaks to the man and woman in Genesis prior to what Diane just has read. But this is the first recorded conversation between them all. Prayer, by definition, is conversation with God. To be clear, prayer is not conversation about God. That would be preaching or teaching. Prayer is conversation with God. It is personal. It is intimate. It is the first person. The first thing to note from this text is by implication. 
the man and a woman appear to have experienced these evening walks with God before. Ray Stedman, the former pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California, writes, This seems to be a habitual action on God's part. He comes into the garden in the cool of the day to converse with the two that had come from his creative hand, and together they talked in the garden. Prayer, conversation with God, is meant to be habitual. God wants a relationship with us. A second thing to note from this text is that God initiates it all. God initiates by coming to the home of the man and the woman. He comes to the garden. And while in the garden, God initiates the conversation by calling out to the man. Stedman goes on to write, Prayer begins with God. In many ways, that is the greatest truth about prayer we can learn from this incident, because all through the rest of Scripture, that truth underlies every prayer that is ever uttered from here on. So we must always read the accounts of Scripture from that point of view. End of quote. God clearly wants a relationship with the man and the woman. Remember what his son Jesus said? God so loved the world. He wants a relationship. And furthermore, God is not willing that any should perish. He wants a relationship. And we should note that any desire we have for prayer, in the moment or habitual, is present in us because God has planted it there. God is the initiator. A third thing to note from the text is the character of God. In conversation with him, in prayer, we are not conversing with an antagonist nor a severe judge. We are coming to our Father, or as the Apostle Paul writes, to Abba, similar in English to Daddy. I remember a preaching mission I was on several years ago at a church in the African country of Kenya. The people welcomed me with open arms and gave me great respect. I was referred to as the man of God and as God's spokesman. It was heartwarming. It was genuine. It was, well, frankly, it was embarrassing. That is not the Abba relationship I believe God wants with us, one that is formal or pedestaled or distant. God wants something more like this. Forty years ago, when I would come home from work, my dog Sprocket would meet me at the door, wagging his tail and wanting me to pet him. My two sons, Steve, then nine, and Ted, then six, would run down the hall to give me a big hug and tell me about their day, usually in just three words. It was good. And then Carolyn would come and give me a hug and a kiss. All of this, running, jumping into my arms, hugs, kisses, That's the kind of relationship God, our Abba, is wanting with us. And that relationship fosters conversation with him that is called prayer. These two conversations we've looked at are what Jeff Mannion in The Land Between calls high-voltage prayers. The prayer conversation between Moses and God is powered by high anxiety Anxiety over a consistently complaining people. When you have a complaint, do not blame others first. Turn to God. Recognize that God is the first one to bring your troubles to. God has put that direction in your mind and heart. Utilize it. 
The prayer conversation Adam and Eve have with God is powered by high anxiety over their personal disobedience to God. When you disobey God, do not blame others. Own it. You did it. And turn it to God. You will soon discover again how gracious and forgiving God is. There may be consequences, but there will always be a restored relationship with God. Consider with me one more high-voltage prayer from the Bible, this time in the New Testament. Jesus has celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus came in love to offer his life as the sacrifice for the disobedience, that is, the sins of all people. His death for all of us is now to be upon him. After the meal, they will walk to a grove of olive trees just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Jesus wants to have a conversation with his father, his Abba. Jesus wants to pray. Listen again as Diane reads the scripture for us. Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew 26, beginning in verse 39, and then skipping to verse 42. Jesus went on a little bit further and bowed his face to the ground praying my father if it is possible let this cup of suffering be taken away from me yet I want your will to be done not mine and Jesus went away a second time and prayed my father if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it May your will be done. Jesus left them and went away once more and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing. Thank you, Diane. Another high-voltage prayer is being prayed here. Jesus is facing his death, but not merely his death. Jesus is facing the death of all people. He is about to take upon himself the sin and the sins of each one of us. He begins, my father. The relationship is personal. It is family. Jesus continues in the first prayer. If it is possible, he's questioning, is there another way? In the second prayer, if it is not possible, willing submission. I'll drink. Jesus concludes the first prayer, I want your will to be done, not mine. In other words, your will, Father, over mine, whatever it might be. And in the second prayer, he says this, may your will be done. He is saying, I will do your will. Just moments following the third prayer, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, taken to be tried, and on the next day, crucified but he's ready and he's willing to do what his father wants. That's a high voltage prayer. Listen again to Jeff Mannion. Perhaps these prayers and others like them in the Bible were preserved as a way for God to whisper, see, you're not alone. Some of my choice servants have felt intense failure and frustration. This is how they prayed when they felt empty and exhausted. This is how I invite you to pray. 
My shoulders are strong enough to absorb rants like this. But please, speak, cry out, face me and give voice to your fatigue, your pain, your betrayal, your vast disappointment. Turn toward me and begin the conversation, even if it's raw and ugly. End of quote. Moses was dealing with a contentious and complaining people. Adam and Eve were dealing with personal disobedience and failure. Jesus was facing not merely death as a sinner, which he was not, but death by bearing the sin of everyone else in the whole world. Let us learn from each of these prayer conversations of Moses and God, Adam and Eve with God, and Jesus with his Father, that in times of transition, times of difficult decisions, times of facing challenging circumstances, God desires us to turn toward him. God initiates the possibility and the desire to turn toward him. God is gracious and eager to forgive. And God desires to bolster our courage to step into his will for living out our lives. May we experience high-voltage prayers personally and with one another in these days of isolation and pandemic. Pray with me. We call you Father because through your Son, Jesus, in our lives, we have been adopted into your family. So, Father, we come to you in our time of need. We need forgiveness. We are listening to voices of doom more than your voice. We need healing. We are sick, perhaps with COVID-19, but also with many other illnesses. We need encouragement. The isolation has created deep loneliness. We need assurance, fresh confidence that you will get us through these days. We also come to you, Father, to express our thanks. Thank you for hearing us as we pray. Having you listen to us is incredible. That you want a relationship with us is overwhelming. Thank you, Father, for bringing hope and help through people who are doing your will people who are on the front lines of treating the sick, nurses, doctors, chaplains, people who grow, process, deliver, stock, and make available our needed food, people who work the food banks, people who make masks, people who call us, write us texts, or send us notes. And thank you, Father, for our church and the work of many people who stay in touch with us to provide counsel and prayer and care. Help us, Father, to do our part in this relationship we have with you. Help us to listen to you. Help us to do your bidding, your encouraging, your loving in tangible ways the people you've placed in our lives. And help us, help us to pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, I pray. Amen. Amen.